before man could read or write. He had his legends. And no legends were more thrilling, more colorful, more filled with fantasy and high adventure than the legends of Asgard, home of the gods, the birthplace of the mighty Thor. Welcome to this week's episode of Across the Bifrost, the Mighty Thor podcast, where we explore the world of Marvel's Mighty Thor. I am your host, Ryan Doze, and today we take a journey way back into the forgotten myths of North's legend within the world of Marvel Comics, that is. We will be looking back at a series of short backup stories that went along with the adventures of Thor we have been reading in Journey into Mystery. These stories are called The Tales of Asgard. I've really enjoyed digging into these stories lately because they really do help expand the world of Asgard, which is, after all, what this podcast is all about. I'm really glad to have you along on this episode for this Thor-themed history lesson. Also joining us on this episode, one of my personal favorite podcast hosts, Mr. Chris Eberly is joining us on the show today from the Comic Geek Speak podcast. He is incredibly well-read when it comes to this time in comics. He's very knowledgeable, and we had a great time breaking down these stories, hopefully for your enjoyment. Before we jump into these segments today, I want to personally thank any and all of you who have listened to the podcast. Thank you for joining me in this passion project. I really do treat this show as a labor of love for the character I love. So whether you're an old fan of Thor, a new fan of Thor, I hope that you've enjoyed this show and what we're really trying to do here with uh, bringing more people into the fold aboard the Rainbow Bridge when it comes to enjoying Mighty Thor stories. For your listenership, I am incredibly thankful. If you want to go the extra mile and support the show further, give us a rating and review on iTunes and go follow us on Spotify. That would be awesome. If you're subscribed to the show on either of those platforms, you will never miss a show when we have new content come out on the feed. So you'll never miss an opportunity to jump aboard the Rainbow Bridge with us. If you would do those things, we would appreciate it immensely. Speaking of the Rainbow Bridge, you will learn more about the Rainbow Bridge itself and all the characters and places of Asgard once you've listened to this conversation that I got to have with Chris Eberly. So, behold, Tales of Asgard, Volume 1. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard Where the booming heavens roar You'll behold in breathless wonder Okay, Across the Bifrost listeners, I have Chris Eberly with us today. He is one of the co-hosts of the Comic Geek Speak podcast. He is going to break down some of these Tales of Asgard stories that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Chris and I have been emailing back and forth for a long time to do this. It's finally happening today. So Chris, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, what we're going to be uh, what we're going to be doing today. Ryan, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. This is a real thrill uh it's great that there's a podcast devoted exclusively to one of the great marvel icons um so 
as you mentioned, I've been a member of the Comic, 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 Comic Geek Speak podcast uh, since, uh, let's see, 2013. And the show has been going on since 2005. Wow. So we hit, we're, we're approaching our 2000th episode uh, a couple more years, I'd say. But uh, we're. That is nuts. 2000. Yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 we're getting there. We're, we're in the, I think we're in the 1800s at this point, if I remember correctly. Um, and uh, I've had a lifelong. I don't know if you want to call it romance or enslavement, passion to comics. Uh, I, I owned a comic book store for 18 years, uh, Wild Pit Comics, uh, from 1999 to 2017. Uh, and I said I've been a member of the show since uh, 2013. I, I met the other cast members because they were coming to sales. I was running at my store. Uh, I've been a lover of Marvel characters, Thor especially, since I could basically read, uh, you know, going back to earliest days of my childhood. And uh, I, I'm really excited that we're talking about these particular stories, the first several installments in the Tales of Asgard uh, backups because they're part and parcel to, to the whole Marvel mythos of Thor. And uh, a lot of key elements in, in, really in, the, in the Thor, sort of the Thor myth really are developed in these yeah. stories. So uh, anyone is interested in, in sort of getting on the ground floor of, of the Thor comic and its history, uh, the, these these stories are essential, so I'm thrilled to be here to talk about them. So, uh, just so listeners know, the way that I came uh, came to know Chris was I, I've listened to uh, I've told him when we hopped on this call I've listened to hours of him talk about comics, and today kind of a little bit of a, a cool moment. I finally get to you know collaborate and do something with someone that um, really helped start my wanting to do a show myself because. A while back, I think it was maybe, oh heck, four or five years ago, uh, maybe not that long, but a few years ago at least, the uh, guys at Comic Geek Speak did a spotlight on Thor in the Silver Age. I think it was about five years ago. So at least. Yeah. I've probably at least listened to that over like yeah. six times. Um, you know, three hours of, 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 of these friends talking about Thor, and I was like, hey, I want a show that does just this. Um, and so... Uh, Chris uh, was gracious enough to email back and forth with me, and we decided that we were going to do backup stories called The Tales of Asgard. These are stories that show up in the Journey into Mystery run of Thor, starting in number 97. And uh, these stories, like Chris said, they set the background, the, the, the tapestry of Asgard and the Nine Realms and the, the myths and the legends. This sets the stage for um for the thor uh you know the thor adventures and loki and odin and all of them so we're gonna jump into the first story and we're gonna break these up into volumes uh, marvel did a thing a few years back where they split them up into volumes so we're gonna do them in blocks so we'll cover uh, a few issues today and then down the road we'll cover a bunch of other issues um in our throwback series so the first story for the Tales of Asgard, little, uh, you know, the side stories, was in Journey into Mystery number 97. This story is entitled Tales of Asgard, Home of the Mighty Norse Gods. And this is kind of a creation story. This is the, this is the you know, the, the beginning of time and how everything unfolded um, with uh, the Asgardian myths before, really before the time of Odin. So you get a lot of significant first appearances. Um, and uh, Chris, I just want to kind of uh, wrap a little bit about th this one. This one really, really sets the stage for 
everything that comes after it. And I think we should note, as you said, that it's 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 a, it's a creation story. And I, you and I were talking uh, behind the scenes that we were trying to find some additional background information about the like the genesis of the series. Um, and admittedly, the, I, I, another one of us could find much, but just kind of extrapolating from just reading about Lee and Kirby and Marvel over the years, I get the sense that you know they wanted to flesh out the world of Thor. And Kirby is what was well known for having a great love for, for all kinds of mythologies, you know, among them, of course, Norse mythology. And I'm going to guess, make an educated guess, that these stories, like Kirby, was the real thrust behind them, um, because he had a much greater knowledge of, of Norse mythology than uh, Stan Lee did. And we should also note, as, as you mentioned before, that this, this, these are being appearing in Journey into Mystery. So, again, it's one of the Marvel House titles where... You know, they had like Tales to Astonish, Tales of Suspense, Strange Tales, During the Mystery. And because of, of, of restrictions on, on their ability to print so many titles, which is a whole nother story. But uh, Marvel at the time was putting their heroes, their new heroes, in these sort of these house books. Um, and then there, because they were house titles, they would often have multiple features in them. And that's one of the reasons why you could see a feature like Tales of Asgard appearing, right, as a backup in um, Journey into the Mystery. But uh, just a little quick little publishing history there. But yeah, yeah. As, as I look at this story, I mean, I'm not an expert, no way an expert in Norse mythology. I mean, we should also point out that the Marvel Thor, of course, is based on the actual Norse god Thor, who, who in, in, the, in the traditional depictions has, you know, red hair and, and a red beard and uh, has a very different temperament than the Thor we know in the comic. Um, but so he's, he's, the Marvel Thor is rooted in that mythology. So what's interesting in Tales of Asgard is that they're bringing elements of the actual Norse mythology and then sort of kind of interlacing it with both this world developing with, with the sort of the Marvel version of Thor. You, you, you yeah. see that in the, in these early stories, like, um, let me crack open my, my volume here, but. So, yeah. And, and, and just so you know, listeners, uh, Chris and I have the, uh, our, our, our readings of these in front of us, um, this is also a, a really uh, cheap plug to get something like Marvel Unlimited. You can read all these stories or go out and buy the physical copies of the books. Um, they are truly uh, treasured tomes that yeah. you, uh, you, you will enjoy over and over again, especially these stories because they're so brief and you can fly through a volume of it. Um, and being an advanced middle-aged person, I still actually have a hard copy. <laughs> here, and here I am with, with my like, <laughs> iPad just flipping through it. Well, you, you're moving into the future, Stern. I, I'm still uh, floundering in the past. But um, <laughs> by the way, I'm assuming your copy has the same coloring. The coloring they did by Matt, it's Miller or, or Mia. Um, yeah. They, they, yep. They redid the coloring. The coloring is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, um, it's, it's very storybook-like. Yeah, exactly, well put, yeah. Um, and, and you actually, another point you made that I think we should address right off the bat, you talk about people wanting to read these stories. If you want to, if you're someone who has, has a young kid who yeah. enjoys fantasy stories like the Harry Potters and, and um, so forth and so on, I think these stories are, are really well suited to a younger reader. What do you think about that, Ryan? Well, so honestly, the other day, as I'm reading these, um, I'm, I'm laying on the couch and uh, I've got my iPad out and I'm reading a bunch of these. My four-year-old son comes and he 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 snuggles right up into my arm and he's like, he, it was one of the stories where Thor is wearing his traditional costume. Yeah. And he's like, Look, dad, it's Thor. And I was like, yeah, buddy, do you want me to read you a story? 
so I read him uh, the one of the boyhood boyhood of Thor stories and uh, his attention span was just perfect enough where I got to read him two stories and oh, then fantastic. He, was like, he was like okay cool I'm I'm gonna go do something else now uh, <laughs> and, so, and I told my wife I was like yeah uh, our son let me read him two stories today she's like he sat there for two stories I'm like yeah they're they're perf- they're perfectly sized for him uh but in terms of in terms of length and uh, and yeah there it's recognizable enough uh you know a book that was written decades ago um you know my son who's a four-year-old he knows thor from like modern cartoons he was able to resonate with this as well so i think that's a good point that uh, these stories really do scale well in terms of even age ranges yeah and in an era when as you can attest and i mean i have older kids now but um anything anything get, can get kids to read um, absolutely. absolutely so but but you're you made a great, very great point again the length of these because th- these were backups so what are they four pages i think something like that yeah, like four four or five yeah so if, if you want to if you have a young kid again who's like ryan's who may be interested in, in these types of characters and worlds just g- give them an issue of the tales of asgard uh it, yeah it may it may, may pique their interest so. The pictures are, I mean, it's, it's Jack Kirby art, so it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's, Stan, it's Stan Lee, you know, uh, writing with these big, uh, big kind of uh, silly Bombastic. Words. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely good for, uh, for even younger readers, which is, um, you know, two, two older guys talking about <laughs> uh, what younger readers would like. May, may seem crazy, but I think uh, these, these stories are definitely still relevant today. Um, so we get like the, the first story is a creation story. We come all the way up to Odin. We get the first appearances of uh, some figures that you hear throughout Thor history. Uh, Buri, which is uh, the grandfather of Odin. We get Bor, the father of Odin, the ice giants, uh, Ymir, uh, who is featured in the next story pretty prominently. Um, Jotunheim is mentioned, Muspelheim you know, one of the, uh, two of the realms of Asgard. And then uh, the, the story ends with Yggdrasil um, yep. covering the earth. Um, that la- the last panel in this first story is really cool. I think I actually uh, uh, contemplated making that my screensaver. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's the tree covering the entire earth uh, and Odin watching from afar. So a lot of good first appearances. It makes sense for the first story to feature some first appearances. Um, but Chris, before we move on from this first one, um, any anything else from this first one, the creation story that really uh, jumped out to you that maybe readers would enjoy? Well, like you, the the closing page with showing the world tree uh, is just stunning Kirby artwork. Uh, yeah. And I think, again, you really, and like the way Surtur is rendered, like you see, really see Kirby's love for the, the, the subject matter. Um, and... And again, I'm speaking as a, as a, as a lifelong lover of Stanley as a writer. He, he's, he's just, he's just carrying, carrying, kind of picking things up here and, and moving them along because this is all, this story especially is all Kirby. Yeah. Um, the artwork is like when he shows like the, sort of the, uh, the first uh, God coming into being through the ice and it, it's just beautiful. Uh, and it's very much rooted in, in, in the Norse myths. So yeah. If someone's picking this up, book up from the from the from the opening uh, chapter, there's no Thor yet, so they're they're going right to, uh, they're really rooting this at least this, this early stage in in the actual Norse myths. Yeah, so, uh, and, and truthfully, like Thor doesn't Thor Thor is obviously in the main issue of 
and the main story that these issues uh, originally right. came out in, Thor's all over it. But we actually have to wait a few stories in to get to some actual Thor action in these Tales of Asgard stories. But in the second story, we uh, it's uh, it's entitled Odin Battles Ymir, King of the Ice Giants. And this story um, we actually covered for my All Father's Day special. We uh, covered the this uh, battle between Odin and Ymir. Actually, me and my dad got to read a comic together. My dad is not a comic <laughs> book lover. <laughs> my dad, my dad had never read a comic, and we read that uh, together uh, on the podcast. That was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so, if you want to listen to a very in-depth uh, look at this story, go back to our All Father's Day special. That was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is kind of just a. It's honestly, it's a spotlight on Odin. And showing us how powerful Odin is, and he 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 flexes on some ice giants. Um, and it's really just a, a a combat adventure story. Um, nothing nothing super stand out here. Uh, there are some really cool panels where uh, Odin splits a mountain in two. Yep, that's pretty I cool. Just mention that. Um, and just the classic, the classic, the blast pounce, classic Kirby of Odin on his throne, and yeah. all his majesty, you know, clutching his sword. What's interesting about Odin is that. As we go through these stories, and then, and then, as I'm sure you know, for as a lifelong Thor fan, Odin's personality can still be say sometimes be prickly and difficult. Um, <laughs> That's a nice way of saying yeah. I'm an asshole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and and as we move through these stories, you, you start to get get little. That's more like in the main Thor stories, but you start to get yeah. glimpses of it uh, in here as well. Or, or sometimes he has mercurial reasons for why he does certain things. Um, and I think it's interesting that. As you progress through these, and you, you see, you get more and more of Lee's presence and his, his singular approach to, to, to scripting and the voice of the characters. But he often uses Odin these stories like a vehicle to sort of teach certain lessons, uh, not yeah. just to Thor and the audience. So I love, but again, I love how they're interweaving the actual Norse myths with all this. Speaking of, of myths, kind of jumping right right next into the into the third story, uh, it's quite simply entitled Surtur the Fire Demon. And we see uh, Odin's encounter with Surtur. Um, this leads to uh, this leads to Surtur being locked within the core of the earth, which is uh, not something I knew. I did not know that uh, that's where where we, we start off uh, start off with Surtur. Uh, but this first uh, really uh, long, well, not long form, but a, a focused encounter between Odin and Surtur. Surtur becomes a monumental deal. Oh God! Later on, you know, yep. uh, it, it, into into Walt Simonson's run that's on the, Thor. That's the classic era yeah, for that. Character. I mean, Surtur is the thing. I remember walking into Thor Ragnarok the movie, thinking that Surtur was going to be the the big. He's kind know, of goofily used in the beginning of that film. Yeah. His, what is what is uh, when his little uh, you know tiara comes off. <laughs> um, I was like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, thought that was going to last a little longer, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but this is one of the first stories we get to see Surtur actually in engaging with Odin, and uh, they have they have a good fight uh, that ends with Surtur being trapped within the core of the earth. So. I mean, yeah. First, first real focused look at Surtur, Chris. What were what were your takeaways from this one? Lots well, of what good imagery. I'll say what that. really struck me about this story was, I mean, besides the artwork, we're going to be a broken record about Kirby's artwork yeah. in this episode because it's it's breathtaking. You're um, probably going to hear the phrase "stunning Kirby artwork." Yeah, a lot because <laughs> it's just like default. Yeah, Duh. but 
what really struck me was at the end where Surtur tries to use a gift to sort of bribe Odin to free him so, so he can be freed from his imprisonment, which clearly Odin did not. I think Odin took the gift, but then probably then still didn't free him. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a very Odin move. Yeah, this little glimpse of, of like sort of politicking between these uh, beings to try to gain advantage over each other. So that, that, that just struck me as interesting. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's like you said, it's, a, it's, it's an action issue. It's, there's no dialogue. It's just, it's Lee providing sort of breathless narration to uh, the events. But uh, again, like we have to remember that Kirby also did a lot of the classic, when Marvel was sort of considered the Atlas company in the 50s, they did a lot of monster comics. Yes. And you see his chops there when it comes to that, like the, where, where Surtur's hand becomes the different serpents. Yeah. That's a great image. Even the, um, even the panel of, of Surtur kind of lurking underneath the lava with his hand out like this. I mean, that's yep, absolutely that, that's monster comics right there. Yeah. So, again, we, we have to remember that these artists where they were coming from, what they had been doing prior to the, like the Marvel age and the, the advent of the Marvel yeah. heroes, they're, they're going to bring all of those elements uh, into these stories. You, you definitely see that here. Uh, but that's just what makes what made Marvel so fun. I can imagine how fun it was for readers in the 60s because you're getting something so fresh and new that's incorporating all these different elements norse myth uh you know elements of of, of earlier marvel comics like the, the monster motif uh it, it's really fun and then and again as you progress through these stories what i really love about thor and the silver age uh we'll, we'll get a glimpse of it sort of the latter stories we look at in this episode is when they go more and more cosmic yes um and they sort of break out of just sort of like the not confined, but like the original sort of Norse mythology, and they yeah. take Thor basically out into the universe. And that's, we're going to see a bit of that as we move along, but uh, it, this just gets, these stories get bigger and bigger <laughs> yeah. as, as we move along. Because it, so. it kind of starts off in a little bit, like like they're almost like fables. Yeah. Um, they're, they're little one-shot stories. Um, they're like, hey, here's a cool little thing that Thor did once, or here's a thing, you know, a monster Odin beat. They don't really interconnect. And then later on in Tales of Asgard, we get an actual arc. We yep. get actual, um, you know, episodic storytelling um, later on. But uh, jumping into the fourth story, this one is just simply put called The Storm Giants. This uh, came out in the uh, 100th issue of Journey into Mystery. And this is the first glimpse of boyhood Thor that we get in Marvel Comics. Thor and Loki go on a secret mission um, as tiny as tiny little boys with their adorable bangs. Um, <laughs> they, they go on this uh, little uh, rescue mission to retrieve the golden apples of Idun from the storm giants. So they're going to sneak into this giant castle and they're going to retrieve the golden apples and bring them back to Odin. Uh, the only real uh, first appearance that I noted here was uh, Angnar, King of the Eagles, is in this. Uh, he's the, you know, they kind of pull a Lord of the Rings here where the eagle uh, takes them to safety. But uh, also, I, I guess I, I didn't really even uh, look too hard at this one, but the golden apples, um, I think it's the first reference of the golden apples here. And those are um, canonically the things that uh, give uh, Asgardians their immortality. Right, their, right. Um, you know, how they can live thousands of years. There's actually mm -hmm. a reason. It's not just, you know, oh, they live long because. No, they have to consume these apples to live um, the long lives that they do. But anything from this, uh, this kind of a, almost like home alone kind of like <laughs> story. Um, 
At one point, Thor rides a salt shaker, a yep. giant salt shaker, and you get pepper in their eyes. Like this is like Home Alone, but as a five-page comic. That's that's well put, sir. Well put. I loved, uh, you know, you get the first glimpse of, you know, just the burning jealousy of Loki and his his determination to. to, yes. to Oh, to, to sort of be always one step ahead and, and one up is his, his, as he put it in one comic I read years ago, my, my doltish half, you know, half brother. Um, and uh, also interesting, what I, I forgot about this, that Thor is trying to lift the hammer. And they do a couple of stories here where, they, where each time it gets a little bit higher off the ground yeah. as he performs more and more, you know, good deeds to, to, to show that he's worthy of the, of the, of the mallet. So that's an interesting, interesting point. Yeah. Uh, the, and then, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, yeah, the, the, the subtext in these issues of, of, of Loki's jealousy, um, it's, it's right baked in there at the beginning. And we even, there's a story that takes place canonically even further back where you get to see kind of the, the birth of his hatred. Um, and uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that down the road, but um, yeah, this, uh, this rivalry between Thor and Loki has been there from the beginning. And there actually is a reason like Loki is not one of these bad guys where it's like, well, I'm, I'm a must, I'm a mustache twirling, you know, villain because I just, you know, he's, he's not snidely whiplash trying to trying to tie people to train tracks for no reason. He's, he has a reason to hate Thor and some most would probably even say a justifiable reason um, for his jealousy. Um, but yeah, this is the first, you know, adventure that they go on as brothers on the same side. Um, so kind of a, a cool little story uh, for them. The next story is uh, is entitled The Invasion of Asgard. So this is a uh, another uh, adventure battle issue uh, where Loki tricks Thor into guarding an opening in Asgard's <laughs> defenses that he put there. Uh, and Thor is kind of like, well, okay, I've, I've got to prove myself. You know, I've got to, I've got to, you know, stand up against both that. Thor and Odin. Sometimes you're like, you're still gullible about Loki. You haven't figured it out yet, but that that happens from time. To time. It's like, guys, <laughs> if you don't want him to keep tricking you. Quit falling for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, the only reason he keeps doing it is because you don't do anything different. Um, and uh, Thor is attacked by a kind of a myriad of different kind of a third-rate villains, and uh, and eventually Odin comes to save him. But uh, there's various villains that show up here. Uh, the Norn Hag shows up, uh, Ulfrin the dragon, uh, the Rhyme Giants, Rock Trolls, etc. Just kind of fodder for Thor to, to be up against and basically to prove that he's outmatched and uh, he can't fight this battle alone. So uh, we get to see Thor exert his bravery in this episode. And look at that opening splash page yeah. of Heimdall standing vigilant upon the Rainbow Bridge. Uh, the, I mean, again, the way Kirby could could capture, like, that's a god. Like, the way he's yeah, standing, yep. just his sheer presence on that page. I mean, he dominates that page with his power. He's, uh, he's very that's, that's, regal. Yeah, it's magnificent uh, penciling, uh, the way he captures Heimdall there. Yeah, man, I'm just kind of stunned looking back through these... Um, these panels there's even one, one of my favorite panels in this story was when Ulfren uh, the dragon doesn't doesn't breathe fire from his mouth he uh he shoots two jets of fire from his nose yeah that, uh, 
gross. Um, but, uh, but Nothing that lives can withstand my dragon's enchanted breath. It's like, I can't beat an Asgardian teenager. What the, <laughs> what the heck am I doing here? Uh, Below that, the panel of four being transformed yes. uh, into, a, into a tree is, is pretty chilling and creepy. Uh, and Speaking look of the panic monster on his face. Yeah. Yeah, he, very. Uh, his eyes are very, um, very uh, horrified, and his yeah. uh, face is kind of almost uh, wrinkled. Um, yeah, that 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 image was a little. Uh, it almost reminded me of uh, of Swamp Thing, a little bit mm. like if, if Thor were Swamp Thing. Uh, but again, that's probably literally just me. Uh, the and then let the clarion call ring forth for Odin and Asgard. I was really hoping you were gonna bring some some crass, a classic uh, Chris Everly. Uh, you could say it's crass too. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. What, what of, I, you know what I noted for the first time, and I think it's a great touch. Yeah. Whenever Kirby depicts the warriors of Asgard, like the army of Asgard fighting Odin, he gives each one their own individual armor, where you think, yeah. okay, like they all have those the same uniform and. Granted, more work for Kirby, but just makes those images so much more captivating and thrilling because there's so much to look at because every warrior has a unique look. And, so. and like, I almost get the feeling that like he never duplicated like these things. I don't think so. <laughs> how many how many different ways can you draw a helmet, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> like, apparently thousands and thousands of different yep. ways. Because um, I even noticed that today as I was just kind of flipping back through I was like, oh my gosh, none of them are the same. They're okay. all different. Uh, they're they're almost like their own uh, their own unique warrior. Um, yep. Each uh, is his own act. Each is his own action figure. Yeah. Oh, how uh, how eighties toy line of him. Yeah. Uh, so the net the next issue uh, the next story is uh, I would put this as required reading if you are a Thor fan and you. Um, really want to kind of dig into these early stories of Thor. Uh, the next story in Journey into Mystery 102, Death Comes to Thor, is required. You but I also love, on top right. of that, the boyhood of Thor, parenthetically, at the age of 18. <laughs> Just so we're sure. <laughs> Just so we're sure. 18-year-old Thor. Uh, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> That's a good little touch. And it's, yeah. oh yeah. So this one is required reading because of a few reasons. There's some very significant first appearances in Thor's um, uh, uh, aliases, but also his rogues gallery. Uh, this is a story of Thor going to rescue Lady Sif from a, uh, a kind of a, a one-shot Storm King uh, villain, uh, Storm Giant King, who, by the way, the Storm Giants must have so many different kings because they appear, <laughs> they appear once and then the next story it's like hey thor went to fight the storm giants again and they have a brand new king that you've never yeah. seen before well, a lot of you know squabbling within their their ruling elite you know, yeah coups and so forth so thor goes to uh rescue sif and uh encounter he he was told earlier on in the story that he would not be able to lift mjolnir until he met death so in rescuing Sif, he meets Hela, the goddess of death. So uh, we get the first appearances of Sif and Hela in this uh, in this story. Sif, obviously a uh, a key supporting character and key love interest of Thor yep. throughout the years, and Hela, 
I mean, if, you, if you've seen Thor Ragnarok, you probably know who Hela is, but she is littered throughout um, decades of comics that uh, Thor has interacted with her as, as both villain, but also kind of as a, like a force of nature um, because she, she embodies death in the Asgardian mythos. So very good, very key story required reading here. Chris, what did you think of this uh, Death Comes to Thor story? What struck me especially was... And I'm always interested in how uh, they develop characters over, over the years. So Kirby has not fully realized his design of Hela as we know it later on. Like yes. the helmet becomes far more elaborate uh, in subsequent issues. So it's just interesting, you know, that creative process where there's initial idea because the basic look for the character is here. Um, yes. yes. But but it's gonna he's gonna make it so much more elaborate uh, and sinister. Um, She's very toned down in the story. Yeah. So, but that, that's again, uh, but also again, just, just the touches, the two giants entombed in the rock uh, and a look of sort of horror on their faces. Uh, you assume they're not gonna survive that. Um, and it just, Kirby's ability to just, in, in just one panel to capture so much uh, breathtaking stuff. You just never, you never get the sense that he wasted space. No. Um, like every every uh, you know every minute part of a of a panel of a page like was used to you know its utmost. And actually, a little while back, um, my, uh, a buddy of mine came on and we talked about uh, two issues of Thor. Actually, a more of the Enchantress's first appearance. We talked about her first appearance, and we talked about one speech bubble for ten minutes. <laughs> And it was like, we were just going, you know, uh, just pontificating about it. And, uh, and he looks at me, he's like, we just talked about one speech bubble for 10 minutes. And I was like, yep. And we're going to probably do it again. So yep. let's keep going. Um, but yeah, death comes to Thor big story, uh, in, um, at the end Thor, uh, Thor rides off with Sif and, um, he is, uh, he is off to the next adventure, which is, uh, Thor's mission to, I couldn't pronounce this correct to save my life, probably Murmur. Or Mirmir. Mirmir, I don't know. It sounds <laughs> it like sounds baby like... talk, but we, we we both might be wrong there. It sounds like how uh, how uh, Darcy in the Thor movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's Meow Meow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this this is a story of um, Thor going and um, and using an enchanted dwarven ship to go meet uh, Mirmir, who is a, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to, <laughs> he uh, uses a piece of Yggdrasil to create the first humans. So this is where the human race comes into the uh, Norse mythological stories. Um, so we get the first appearances of the Asgardian version of the dwarves in this story. Uh, King Sindri is in this as well, and we're very then, important because they they forge a lot of the great weapons of, of Asgard. Yes, um, and, and and in a few in a few uh, tales of Asgard stories, we'll get to Nidavellir, uh, which I no no we're on Nidavellir in this story. So the the home of the dwarves is here, um, and we we get to see a little bit of that. Uh, I did love in this story that Thor fights a giant uh, boar, who's just got another hammer. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite lines in this. Uh, I, 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 I know the line as well. Go ahead. You can have it. Stripped completely out of context. The, the, the boar jumps out of the weeds and he says, um, 
I, though you have a hammer, I have one too, and mine is far bigger. Yep. <laughs> Big hammer energy. <laughs> My gosh. Well, you know, just uh, sensibilities culturally change as the years pass. I mean, remember Marvel <laughs> did a, a, a title, you know, in the 70s, Giant Size Man Thing. So, you know. <laughs> Giant Size you know, Man thing. 30, 30 years from now, they'll be laughing at something we took for granted. So, oh, yeah. That's, I, yes. I love when things don't age, you know, <laughs> the way people intended it. Uh, at the end of this, uh, at the end of this issue, we get uh, the first appearance, probably only prominent appearance of ASCII and Embia who are in Norse, Norse mythology, Norse, this, the Marvel version of this, they're the first humans. Yeah. It's so, Adam and Eve, basically. So. It's Adam and Eve, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, Stanley changing the names a little bit. Um, but it's the creation story of how humanity came to be. And then the last panel is a really cool um, picture of uh, the dwarven ship flying across a giant sun flare. Um, I thought that was a really cool way to yep. end it. Um, one thing I wanted your thoughts on, Chris, at mm -hmm. the end of at the end of each of these stories, Stan gives this, he tries to hook us for not for the next issue of Journey into Mystery. He tries to hook us for the next story of Tales of Asgard, almost apart from the Journey into Mystery main story. But he 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 keeps just adding this this pomp and this circumstance to so that I mean these are five issue, these are five page stories. And he is presenting them like they're Hollywood blockbusters. Well, that's that's that was the key to. I mean, so much of Marvel's success was the fact that he was the ultimate pitch man, and you know the hyperbole he would employ. I mean, a lot of it with, with a wink, of course, was to encourage people just to keep reading so they keep selling more and more of these books because that that was his job. Um, and you're right. I, I mean, these are these are short stories, but. Like 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 we said, he's pumping them up like like it's it's the next blockbuster. Um, like you look at the opening page of the next, yeah, uh, issue, Tales of Asgard, Home of the Mighty Norse Gods, beginning a new dimension in comics, biographies and death of Asgard's heroes, and then just so you can't you don't miss it, Heimdall, um, <laughs> Guardian of the Mystic Rainbow Bridge. I mean, it's almost like right. half the page. Oh my God, yeah, but this the, the they 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 come upon a winning formula. You've got you know, one of the, if not the greatest artists in, in the business, and you really want to, you know, punch up what he's doing and make people aware of it. So that was a big part of Stan's job as the, as, as the editor uh, and the writer. And, and clearly it worked because we're still talking about it. So, so I, just a quick aside before we wrap up this volume of Tales of Asgard, I wanted to get your thoughts just real quickly on, uh, and I know this is not like a, this is a, a opening up Pandora's box and then asking you to close it real quick. Um, but with Stan and with Stan and Jack being such a, a I mean, legend, a legendary team, mm -hmm. um, they are uh, synonymous with Marvel comics, especially this age of Marvel comics. But is that what made them such a great duo? The, 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 the creativity and the artistic touch of Jack Kirby and then the, you know, the, just the over-the-top showmanship of Stan Lee. What, what's your opinion on that? I mean, my, my humble opinion on that, just based on reading so many stories over the years and reading interviews and, and histories, I think if you look at both men separately, I mean, Kirby already had, a, a, even before Marvel, Kirby was already an enormously important creator because of the work he did back in the 40s with Captain America, 
then did all kinds of work uh, for DC. Uh, he even did a, did a Captain Marvel Shazam story for Fawcett. Like he already had, he already created, he and his partner, Joe Simon, created the romance comic genre. They did war comics. Uh, they did Captain America. They, they, they were already well-established. Um, Boy Commandos, et cetera. And that's, I'm just, there's so yeah. much more. I'm just kidding the, the, the surface here. And Lee was kind of toiling obscurity as, as an editor of, of this other company that, that was dwindling um, uh, in the 50s. So I think when you bring the two men together, I think Kirby, when you look at Kirby's work, his imagination was so unbelievable. He looked like this new God stuff later on from the, what we yeah, call the Bronze yeah. Age, the, the 1970s. Uh, Lee, of course, wasn't involved in that because that was a DC property. And the concepts are dazzling. The art is amazing. Um, some people don't care much as much for the scripting, Kirby scripting himself. My humble opinion is that Lee was a highly experienced art director and editor. He'd been working in comics since he was a teenager. Yeah. In fact, his first job was actually as sort of like an office boy for Simon and Kirby when they worked for Timely when they did Captain America. That's um, so Lee had all these years of experience, and when Kirby came back uh, in, the, in the late 50s and the 60s to what became Marvel, I think Lee realized, look, look what I got here. And you know, I think, I think the work inspired him, and it, it encouraged him to produce you know, some of the best storytelling of, of, his, of his career in, the, in that you know, approximately 10-year period that they, they, they worked together. Um, and I, I think Lee... Lee's ability to, through caption, through dialogue, through the voice he would bring, through the hyperbole, through, through the sales pitching too, like we just yeah. noted, it, it, it root, grounded Kirby's artwork in such a way that it, people really found all of it so exciting uh, and accessible. Uh, and I, I, I use accessible as, as a negative term. It's just, when you look at Kirby's work after he leaves Marvel, he does you know, New Gods, he does Commandy, he does all kinds of wild stuff um, that's I highly recommend, but some critics feel that Lee not being there to edit and to script, you're, you're getting a very different, you're getting sort of Kirby without any kind of, of editorial uh, constraints. I, I think Lee, maybe constraining is the wrong word, but I think Lee was able to sort of harness what Kirby was doing yeah. in a way that really, really delivered uh, for the reader. And and again, I, I think, again, we talked about, you can talk about the Marvel method, which if readers, if listeners aren't aware, because Lee was the uh, scripter, he was the editor, he was the art director, he didn't have a lot of time to write full-blown scripts for the artist, like, you know, all right, on this panel, do this. He basically would write, okay, this issue, we're, we, the, the Fantastic Four are going to fight Dr. Doom, go. Yeah. And the artist would then draw the whole thing, and then he'd go back, he'd go, wow, this is amazing. And then he would, you know, put in the captions, the thought balloons, the dialogue. And that was the, that's where we can involve all, all the creator controversy between who created what, Lee, Kirby, and other yeah. artists. Um, but I think that that approach, which was really born out of expediency, I think that produced amazing stuff because clearly Kirby had free reign to let his imagination run wild in these stories. And Lee would come in as the writer and the editor and sort of ground it for the reader. And it's, it's some of the greatest work in the, in the history of the medium. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and honestly, the the I've I I have heard I've heard throughout the years, um, you explain that and expound upon that um, on on uh, on CGS. So I just wanted to give uh, my listeners a little bit of an in on like 
why Stanley and Jack Kirby are so important together and why like reading these stories is kind of a peek inside their creative process. And like you mentioned, the Marvel method and everything that they were doing and accomplishing in this, you know, this, uh, the sixties time period where Marvel was kind of just, you know, getting, getting all of this out there. Um, but the, the last story that we're going to cover on today's version, uh, uh, today's version of throwback Thursday is a Heimdall story. This is basically Heimdall's origin story. Um, based, this is how we know him the way we know him today as the guardian of the Bifrost, but he wasn't always that. In fact, Odin, throughout this story, he, he's picking someone to watch the it's, it's a job. It's, it's a group job interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He brings these three guys in the room and like, okay, you know, what do you guys think of each other? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do not think highly of each other. No. Uh, but yeah, they uh, they uh, they go through some testing, and then eventually Heimdall is named the uh, the Watcher of the Bifrost. So, uh, Chris, a little bit of a look into Heimdall's origin. Um, wh wh why would it have been so important to 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 focus on Heimdall here? I mean, Heimdall is not even a main character in the main story at this point. So again, I just think we're seeing Kirby's love for the subject, and in the end. By the way, I, I love I love the, even have Odin's gardener uh, play an important role uh, in the story. You know, yeah, obviously true. Odin as the as the as the overlord has his own gardener, but um, you know Heimdall <laughs> Heimdall is so important because he's the sentinel. Like he he's 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 the watchman. He's the sentry on the Bifrost, or or the, as they referred to it then, the, you know, the Rainbow Bridge. And how many times have we seen through the years like the image of Heimdall's eyes? gazing yeah. into the very fabric um, of the cosmos. And I think it's great that they're establishing that, yeah, like you said, he's not a vital character in every single adventure of Thor, every issue, but he's one of the underpinnings of the entire Asgardian society because if he falters in his duty, they could be overrun by, by outside invaders. So, yeah. um, and I also want to point out, uh, yeah, Kirby's inked here by... Another one of the great mainstays in the early Marvel stable, which is Don Heck, who is the co-creator of Hawkeye and the Black Widow. And he did, uh, he penciled the original appearances of Iron Man as well. So basically Lee was, was relying on Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, of course, is the co-creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, and Don Heck in these early years. And here Heck is doing inking duties. And if you study Kirby's artwork, and there are people who are far more better authorities than this than me, but certain inkers... Some people, some people feel bring out more more of the quality of, of Kirby's artwork than others. Uh, like we talk about Vince Coletta later on. I think yes. I, I really love his inking of, of Kirby on Thor. But uh, Heck is a, is a, is a great pencil. His own right. It's thrilling to see him ink uh, Kirby's work on Thor here. Like the page where uh, Heimdall is gazing into the fabric of the universe, as I said, so good. Is, is beautiful. So yeah. good. You get kind of almost that like, that um, senior picture kind of like fade in of uh, the stars on his helmet. <laughs> um, and on, on the last page, I love the uh, the picture, uh, the panel of the the legion, the legions of Asgard going uh, on the Rainbow Bridge and charging after uh, the enemies, the enemies that um, that are uh, seeking to come to, to Asgard and invade. I, I just love. Honestly, anything with the Rainbow Bridge on it, I love because you know you're gonna get like sunbursts and planets and yep. rings in the background. Like, and it's honestly 
that's to a to a comic book fan you really just have to say cosmic kirby um you know that that's that is it's kind of his bread and butter uh and it's it's just so it's so good um and, and i know we've said it you know over the last few minutes we've said it so many times but that's that's why it endures to today well and not as you said the cosmic element because the way he conceived his version of Asgard, you know, sort of that floating like asteroid in space in a sense, and like the, the just the the eye popping effect of the bridge, and like like when they're cr crossing the bridge on horseback, and, and uh, you just sense that they're just uh, the great expanse of the cosmos is before them. And I remember when the, when the first Thor movie came out, and they showed the bridge and they showed the city. I turned to my friend. I said, "It's Kirby," and, and <laughs> you know because. Clearly, they studied these books because um, there were elements other like the city kind of like jumped out of Flash Gordon too as well. But um, it, it's all here, folks. This is where it all starts. Um, so, and, and and that story wraps up the first volume of uh, of our Tales to Asgard Tales of Asgard series. We're going to be back next month to cover the second volume where we get into more uh, more of more characters like we're gonna do Heimdall again. Balder the Brave shows up. Balder is a big deal in Thor's supporting cast, and and miss and missed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, we yeah. get no Balder. Yeah, there's so many characters they haven't done yet. Yeah, I, I like I, why why Ulick is not in a Marvel movie it, <laughs> it blows my mind. Give me five seconds of Ulick in the movie, please. Uh, and then uh, we get uh, some more, some more Thor and uh, Loki boyhood stories. So we're going to cover those next month in volume two of our tales to as tales of Asgard series. Well, that does it for our show today, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that breakdown of Tales of Asgard with Chris Eberly. Rest assured, Chris will return to the show for more Tales of Asgard goodness in the months to come. As always, we thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to go do the rating, do the reviewing, share with a friend, do all the things to support the show. We would appreciate it. Do that wherever you find great podcasts. If you want to talk with us more about Thor throughout the week, you want to tell us what you enjoyed from this episode, go follow us on Instagram at Mighty Thor Podcast. I have been Ryan Doze. Thank you for joining us aboard the Rainbow Bridge this week. We look forward to the next time that we get to hang out with you and talk Thor and wherever you go throughout your week, whatever you're going to do, remember to stay worthy.